Hey, we're going to look in God's Word. And, and this is God's Word. People say, well, how could the Bible be called God's Word? Megan was reading something the other day, or Kathy was, that you can't call the Bible God's Word. Jesus is the Word. Yes, He's the living Word. This is the written Word. It's the message of God. It's not just God's love letter telling us how we can connect with Him. It's also God's instruction telling us how we can live. And so sometimes we come to church, you hear a message, yeah, you open the Bible, yeah, okay, it's God's Word, right? No, it's not God's Word. It's God's Word. It's God's instruction for life, God's counsel for us. If God the Father was sitting, listening to the problems in your life, and He wanted to give you counsel, He would share what this Word says, because this was written by the Holy Spirit of God, so people could receive Christ as Savior, connect with the Father, and follow the plan the Father has for their life. So when we look at God's Word, it's big. This is important. This is not just, oh yeah, this was one little passage in a Bible, a holy book. It's counsel from God to you. The scripture says the things that were written before time, those were written for our learning. So that we could learn and we could grow. So what I'd like to do right before we actually jump into the message is have you take a moment and you talk to God. And you ask him to help you focus and to help you listen to his Holy Spirit. And in just a moment, I'll pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this occasion. You know all things. You knew before the foundation of the world that we would be here on this day because you understand the future in a way that's impossible for human beings to do. You knew that we would be gathered here. You knew that this message would be on this day. You knew that we would be opening the Word of God to this passage, and you knew that you would use it in our hearts and in our lives. So we pray that we would listen. We pray that we would respond in faith and obedience. In Jesus' name, amen. How does God measure your values? We're in Isaiah. We're looking at the value of your values. We're in Isaiah 55. And as we look in Isaiah 55 this morning, we're not going to study through the whole passage, the whole chapter, but I'd like to read it just to get around our heads. And as we read this, you're going to notice some phrases that are very common in our culture and within Christianity. You're going to notice some things. You're going to say, wow, all of these things were right here in this little chapter. I told you before when we were doing a series through some of the messages in Isaiah that a lot of the things that are common phrases in Christianity and in our culture are rooted right here in the book of Isaiah. So chapter 55. Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come buy and eat. Yes, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend money for what is not bread and your wages 
For what does not satisfy, listen carefully to me and eat what is good. And let your soul delight itself in abundance. Incline your ear and come to me here and your soul shall live. Now part of this is particular just to the nation of Israel. And I will make an everlasting covenant with you, the sure mercies of David. Indeed, I have given him as a witness to the people, a leader and commander for the people. Surely you shall call a nation you do not know, and nations who do not know you shall run to you because of the Lord your God and the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. Verse 6. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord and he will have mercy on him and to our God. For he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, saith the Lord." For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain comes down, and the snow from heaven, and do not return there, but water the earth, and make it bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower, and bread to the hearer, to the eater. So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing to which I sent it. For you shall go out with joy and be led forth with peace. The mountains and the hills shall break forth into singing before you, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress tree. Instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle tree, and, so, and it shall be to the Lord for a name, for an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. So this morning, we are looking at the value of your values. And asking this question to begin, how does God measure your values? You do realize that God thinks about you a lot more than you do? Uh, The psalmist said, His thoughts are so wonderful toward me, I I can't even comprehend them all. God thinks about you, and He weighs it in the balance. Every decision that you make, and some of them are really trivial. Like, do I turn right? Do I turn left? Some of them are really trivial. And yet God weighs those decisions. He thinks about them, he analyzes them, he evaluates them. But there are some specific ways mentioned in this chapter that God uses to evaluate the values you live by. The first is your wallet. Your wallet. Well, how does that, my spending money, how does that affect me spiritually? Listen, I have copied something here that's from a devotional that I get. And I get several email devotionals and read them uh, almost every day. Um, Sometimes I have to catch up on a couple of them. But but I read them just to help me think and connect with the Word of God. And so this is one from a very popular writer. And he says, and, and this is fairly long. Bear with me, okay? Are you aware of what waiters and waitresses say about the Christians they serve? 
Do you have any idea how much they dread waiting on our tables in restaurants after church on Sundays? On any other day, I'm sorry, or any other day when we go in groups with big Bibles under our arms. We gobble up the chow, we ask for this favor and that, seldom pausing long enough to smile or say thank you. That's bad enough, but then we leave a tip that is more of an insult than a generous expression of our gratitude. Just last week, a waiter informed me, he's still writing, that the place where he works has the toughest time getting a full crew to wait on tables on Sundays. We'd all rather work late Friday and Saturday nights, week after week, than work Sunday afternoons. So he asked the waiter why, and here was his answer. Because Christians are usually loud. They often lack good table manners. And they are stingy with their tips. The waiter who spoke to him is a Christian. The writer says, he's on our side. And he's embarrassed. The waiter says, he has a tough time witnessing to the other people he works with. And encouraging them to trust and follow Christ. Because the behavior of Christians in the restaurant. Now, There are public restaurant manners, right? We teach those to our kids, but then sometimes we're adults and hard of hearing. We get a little loud when we're in a restaurant. But the biggest problem is being cheap. Uh, There used to be a gospel track that looked like a $20 bill folded in half. And I had friends who were servers, and they would serve the food, and and then they'd get this fake $20 bill. And it would have the gospel message inside. You know how many of them got saved reading that thing? They threw it in the trash. Especially when that was the only thing left. Now, he encourages you to tip at least the full 15% or more. I go with 20%. It's a lot easier to figure out. 10%, you just move the decimal point times two. It's easy to figure out. And uh, we had a daughter who was a waiter, a waiter, waitress, a server. And, and she was serving, was it at Cracker Barrel? Yeah, at the Cracker Barrel down here. And she said, sometimes Christians would come in, group of 20 of them, and they'd leave a $10 tip. After she had served them their water, their food, brought drinks to them several times, and, and then nothing. And so after that, Kathy and I had always served, uh, given at least 15%. We started giving at least 20. If we get great service, we give more than that. But, you know, this is a testimony of your walk with God. Remember Jesus talking to Peter about paying the temple tax? It was not really a Roman tax. It was just a socially acceptable tax for giving to support the temple. And, and Jesus and Peter paid it. Okay, they paid with money they found in the mouth of a fish that Peter brought up, but they paid it because it was socially acceptable. And so I just encourage you to do that. Be friendly with the servers. Greet them, look them in the eye, tell them thank you, leave them a tip. The New Testament teaches that how you spend your money is spiritual not just financial. It's a spiritual value. We had the offering plate that went around. Some of you were able to give. Some of you already gave online. Some of you gave uh, because you have your bank 
automatically mails a check to the church. And some of you gave this morning. But, but the New Testament challenges us to be generous toward the work of the Lord. I have a fellowship with pastors that I get together with, and we talk, we share concerns, we pray for one another. It's really a blessing. And, and they're pastors from Apache Junction to Buckeye. We get together up in the valley usually, and we meet uh, every other month, and we pray together. And every single pastor has said, our church would like to do more with missions. Our church would like to do more with ministries. We just don't have the funds. Last month, we had our annual business meeting, and we set some goals for this year. And, and in order to achieve those goals, our offering has to go up 20% over what it was last year. And why? Because we want to do more for God. And so you can help with that. Uh, God wants you to be a missionary to your local community. Some of you live in Coolidge, Arizona City. We've had people from Maricopa, Casa Grande. Uh, God wants you to be a missionary to your local community. And he also wants you to support the mission of this church and the missions that we support through this church. Uh, The Life Institute folks were here first Sunday of January, and one of the things they challenged is that in your estate planning or your will, be generous toward the work of the Lord. Don't just give to your kids. Give to the work of the Lord. And, and honestly, our church was greatly blessed when Georgia Mahala and then Margaret did that. They left legacies for the church. What a huge blessing. There's a church that, that uh, some of you have know the pastor in that. Their church, somebody gave them such a large legacy, he was actually able to hire an assistant pastor to serve with them and help the church. So your wallet says where your values are. And if it hurts you, if you start having shoulder and elbow pain when you reach for your wallet to give to the work of the Lord, then you have a spiritual problem not a financial problem. And we should give generously to the work of the Lord. And a lot of you do, and I'm not fussing at anyone. I have no idea what you give. But if you're not giving generously to the Lord, you're hurting you. You're hurting the work of the Lord, but you're also hurting you. Because the Lord wants you to do this. The Lord directed Isaiah to ask the people, why do you spend your money in ways that don't satisfy? When you can invest your money in ways that do. A lot of people have to have the latest greatest, right? The latest greatest car, the latest greatest computer. And as soon as they get that car, that computer, it's not the latest greatest after all. They always want what's next. God wants you to live your life and spend your money in a way that reflects eternal values. As Jesus said, laying up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moss and wrath do not corrupt and where thieves do not break through and steal. So your wallet, in the words of the Holy Spirit to the prophet Isaiah, you who have no money, come buy and eat. Why do you spend money for what is not bread and your wages for what does not 
satisfy. So value the things God values. Invest in the things God values. Faithful Christians who have been blessed by God financially have helped start churches and missions and ministries and hospitals. And God can use the resources that you have available to do great things when we give to the Lord from a generous heart. Second value is your inner person. Your inner person. First, I tried to look for a body scan x-ray, and I decided this little whirlpool would, would have to do. What goes on on the inside? Because you do have a whirlpool going around in your head, right? Sometimes you can even hear the sucking sound that it makes. Um, but your inner person, this is your soul, your ear. What you allow on the inner person, look in the middle of verse 2. Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and let your soul delight itself in abundance. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear and your soul shall live. Now, when I was a kid, I never understood that incline your ear thing. You know, now (laughs) I understand that incline your ear. It's like, huh? What was that? You lean forward to be able to hear somebody. The Lord said, incline your ear to me. Lean toward the Lord so you can hear. Turn up the hearing aid if you need to. Listen to the Lord. Your soul, your ear, the stuff going in on the inside. There's a difference between sound going in your ear and really hearing. Anybody who's ever had children knows there's a big difference between them hearing the sound and them really listening. Right? Big difference. And so God doesn't just want your ears to hear the sound. He wants it to resonate in your heart and in your soul, in that inner person. On the inside of you, what we would call your heart, your soul, your inner being, you need to tune your heart to the Lord. You need to hear Him. You need to discipline your mind and your body with His instruction. And no one else can do that for you. There are adults who can make their kids obey outwardly, right? We can do that. We can give threatening. We can give consequences that are so strong the kid will choose to obey. But I always remember the picture of Dennis the Menace. He's sitting in a chair in the corner. And the caption says, I'm sitting down on the outside but I'm standing up on the inside. (laughs) And we can do that. We can give the outward appearance of obeying our parents. We can give the outward appearance of obeying our God. We can give the outward appearance of propriety and appropriate behavior. We can give the outward appearance of following the Lord. We can walk into church carrying our Bible. Some of you even have it with your name in gold on the front. And you can carry your Bible when the offering plate goes around. You can put your, your offering in there. We were in a church in Texas, and I was one of the trustees of the church and helped count the money. And we have a group of guys who rotate helping count the money here at church. But, but I, I had to every week go in and help count the money. And we'd get this big, thick envelope. Looked like it was stuffed full of cash. And it was pieces of blank paper. 
And that guy would pull it out and put it in the offering plate. And oh, he looked spiritual to the people sitting around him. But God looked down from heaven and saw an empty heart, not just an empty offering envelope. So you got to be real. God knows the real you. What's really amazing? He loves you anyway. He knows the real you. He knows the warts. He knows the ugliness. He knows the struggles. He knows the real you. And he loves you. So in your inner person, what do you value on the inside? There are Christians who participate in things they shouldn't participate in. But they don't take the time to evaluate it on the inside, comparing their values to the Word of God. God's doing that evaluation. We need to, too. So the third thing, the value of your values, the third is your passions. Your passions. The longing of your heart. What makes you happy? What fills you with joy? Tim, I hate to cause this pain, but years ago I was watching a news show when the, uh, our, our, yeah, the, uh, the news after the U of A won the national championship in NCAA basketball, which ASU has never won. And, and uh, when, when the U of A won that national championship, they showed this guy, and he was wearing red shoes and red socks and red sh- shorts and a blue shirt and a red hat. It was all U of A stuff. It had logos everywhere. And he, and he had his, his uh, banners, you know. I think he'd even dyed his beard red. I'm not sure. Uh, uh, and, and he's there on the news, and he's going, this is the greatest day of my life. <laughs> you know what's really sad? It, it might have been the greatest day of his life. Hey, the greatest day of my life was when Jesus said, yes, I'll forgive your sins and be your Savior. And I got adopted into God's family. And the second greatest day of my life is when Kathy said, yes, I'll marry you. And then she said, I do. And then I had kids and all the great days of my life. And when the kids trusted Christ as their Savior, there are so many great days, so much more important than a basketball game. But your passions... Your passions show your heart before God. There are Christians who have more intensity toward their fantasy football game than toward their Bible. So the longing of your heart. Look what it says in verse 6. Seek the Lord. And this word seek doesn't mean just have a casual glance. It really means to seek, to look out, to pursue the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him, Hebrews uh, 11.6 says. So you need to seek after him on purpose. Call unto him. And that means to cry out to him. Have you ever been somewhere where, like, picnic and there's a bunch of kids and and all of a sudden one kid cries out, Mom! In this scary, loud voice. 
And what happens? One mom runs because they know the sound of their kid. If the kid happens to yell, Dad, a bunch of dads go running because that's just the way it is. Guys are a little hard of hearing, right? You know, it's the truth. A baby will cry in the nursery and a bunch of guys you'll see going like, and then one mom will get up and walk out. And they're like, oh, okay, it's not my kid after all. <laughs> but, but the passions, the, the longing. Listen, God is calling you to forsake wickedness. Let the wicked forsake his way. Turn away from wickedness. Now, Kathy and I saw a lot of cars in ditches on our little trip. A lot of cars stuck in the snow. A lot of cars who tried to get around somewhere. Some, one guy in a big truck, and he had a big truck with big tires, you know, big meaty snow tires, and it was four-wheel drive. And he put it in reverse, and he's going super fast, and he's going to blow right past us in that time when we were stuck. We weren't stuck, but we were stranded. We couldn't go forward or back. And so we're in that spot, and he's just going to blast past us and get all around us. And he got right beside our car and stopped. What he didn't know is there was, the snow looked the same, but it wasn't. The road underneath was going like this, and the snow was like this. And so he went, boom. And uh, they had to bring a snow plow and tow him out. But our little minivan did fine. <laughs> see, see, forsake the wickedness. Turn away from things. You, uh, you know, you're heading toward a ditch. You're heading toward trouble. God does not smile at sin. God does not look at your misbehavior and say, Oh, it's okay, Harm. You're just so cute, Harm. I'm going to let it go. God doesn't do that. Martha doesn't even do that, right? Why would we expect God to do that? So forsake it. Turn away from unrighteous thoughts. That's the next part of verse 7. Turn away from unrighteous thoughts. We can let our mind play things through. Or we can reject it and bring our minds into captivity to the obedience of Christ. We have the choice. Let him return to the Lord. Turn away from wickedness. Turn away from unrighteous thoughts. Turn toward the Lord. That's one of the reasons why uh, we have this, a devotional to give you the opportunity every day to intentionally turn your heart toward God. You don't have to use that, but you have to use something. You can't just go through the day and not intentionally turn your mind and thoughts toward God. It won't happen. You will naturally drift away. We are naturally distracted. Did you ever see the movie Up? Kids movie Up. And there's these dogs that can talk and fly airplanes and all that. You know, and, and when they want to distract the dogs, they say squirrel. And every time they say squirrel, the dogs go... Well, one time at home when Benjamin and I were at our house and Kathy was trying to get our attention and we were a little distracted, she yelled, squirrel, really loudly. And we looked at her and she said, wow, it works. (laughs) (laughs) But see, your attention naturally gets drawn away. 
It, it does. It, and it's not just kids. It happens to adults. And it's not just men. It happens to women. And so you need to turn toward the Lord. And then here it says, to seek His mercy. He will turn, let him return to the Lord, and God, the Lord, will have mercy on them. And to our God, for He will abundantly pardon. So you seek His mercy. You receive His forgiveness. Your heart naturally chases after treasure. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And so you need to passionately treasure the Lord. Move toward Him. Value Him. Have that be your passion to walk with Christ. And then you need to, God evaluates. The fourth area is your intellect. Your intellect. How does God value your values? Your intellect. Verse 8. My thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. God's ways are higher. God's thoughts are beyond our capacity to comprehend. Honestly, we don't understand sometimes the way God is moving and what God allows. And sometimes we go through intensely painful circumstances. And we know the Bible says... God will use all things together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. For we know that they will work together for good. We have assurance of it from God in his word, from the person of Christ. We know it will happen, but we don't have a clue how. I, I stood with a husband, his wife just died. And he let out a wail of a cry of heartache. And then he turned on me and he said, you tell me how God is going to use this for good. And my answer was, I can't. But I know that he will because he promised that he would. Bad things don't become good. Heartache doesn't become a, a joyful thing. We don't laugh about things that used to make us cry, but God uses them in the process of maturing us in Christ. So uh, remember Job asking God for the reason why he was going through all of his suffering? And Job gave this long argument about why God needed to tell him why. And so God answered Job. And what was God's answer? I'm God, you're not. That was it. God went through all these things of creation and I created this and I did that and I set the stars and I set the sea and I'm in charge of everything and you're not. Ready? God's in charge. You're not. Now, I'm just going to remind you of that again because sometimes we wrestle with this. God's in charge. You're not. He makes the rules. He rules. And so our intellect doesn't want to accept it. And Pastor Greg Glory, his son died in a car accident and, and, uh, years ago. But uh, I was reading something he wrote um, this month. And he said, I think we get into trouble when we start trying to explain why. You know, maybe the Lord did it for this reason or that reason. 
Don't even start with that, he says. I have talked to some of the greatest theological minds, and they have given me the best answers there are. And you know what those answers amount to? I don't know. Now, just be honest. That should give you a little comfort, right? If I could explain God, that brings God down to my level or maybe even below my level, if I can explain God. The fact that I cannot explain God, I've been studying the Bible for 30 years, I've been preaching for almost 30 years, I I cannot understand some of the things God does. And that gives me comfort. That God's working something I can't see, something I can't understand, and someday, someday I'm going to realize the benefit of what God's doing now. So, compared to God, you're kind of dumb. Now, I I give you permission, turn to your neighbor, tell them, compared to God, you're kind of dumb. Now get out your cell phone, take a selfie, post it on Facebook, and say, compared to God, I'm kind of dumb. It's not that you're stupid. It's that intellectually we don't have the capacity to reach God. The geniuses on earth are on earth. God is in the heavens. The capacity to understand God is beyond us. God is beyond us. But he gives us enough of himself, enough instruction in his word that we can learn to trust and follow him. We can learn to trust even we don't understand all that he is doing. I moved here in the summer of 98. And the year before I moved here was the most difficult year of my life. The very end of 1997 and the beginning of 1998 were the most painful experience of my life. And when I came here, the first year we were here was the best year of my life. And so I said, man, I went from the worst year of my life to the best year of my life. And if you have to do those back to back, you want the worst one first, let me tell you. But, but guess what? I've been through worse. 2012. I didn't think it could get worse than what I went through in 98. It did. And after what I went through in 2012, I didn't think it could get worse. And it did. 2016. See, we can trust God no matter how much it hurts. We can trust God even when we feel frustrated and discouraged and disheartened, even when it feels like our heart is breaking, we can trust God, who is the healer of broken hearts. He's God. That's what he does. He doesn't have to justify himself to our limited intellect. He is trustworthy, and someday, somehow, maybe not in this life, but in the life to come, he will show us how all these painful experiences work together to accomplish something great. Maybe it's just creating a greater dependence on him, which is a good thing, because we connect to him more. 
And then number five, God evaluates his word and your words. So he says in verse 10, For as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven, and Kathy and I got to see a lot of both of those things in the last uh, eight or nine days. The rain comes down and the snow from heaven. They water the earth and make it bring forth in bud. He gives seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall my word be, God says, that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. So when God gave us his word, the revelation of the Holy Spirit of God to the prophet Isaiah and to the other 40 writers of Scripture, as God gave us that instruction, his word has accomplished great things. My great-grandparents trusted Christ as their Savior. My great-grandpa on my dad's side was a preacher. We're going to see him in heaven. I'm going to tell him that there was one time when I was pastoring in Sawadita, I preached one of his messages, that I had a a note from his Bible, and I preached that message. And and so we're going to share how God's Word impacted our hearts and lives. And when God put his Word out there, humanity responded. And the ones who receive Christ are blessed because of it. But it's not just a generic God put his word out there. I think there's something involved in our individual lives when we share God's word. And we don't have a promise that every time we share God's word, wonderful things will happen. No, sometimes when God's word is shared, people reject and they're condemned. But I believe two positive things happen every time we share God's word. One, the person who hears it may respond positively, accepting it, believing, and trusting the Lord. But even if that one doesn't happen, our hearts are encouraged because we have shared the word of God. And so our faith is strengthened. Our belief is built up. So either the person to whom you share God's truth will respond to it, or you will be blessed by it. Either way, something positive happens when we share God's Word with other people. The Scripture does not have the capacity to accomplish nothing. It cannot return void. It does not have the capacity to accomplish nothing. It has the capacity to accomplish something, to have an impact on them, on you, or on both of you. But it will have an impact. So what is the eternal value of your values? What's the value of your values? Do your values line up with God? Are you excited about the things of God? Do you give generously to the things of God? Do you turn your mind and thoughts and hearts toward God? Are you drawn to the things of this world? I would like to think that when we get to heaven, Demas will be there. I would like to think that he was a genuine believer and he partnered with Paul and Paul called him his fellow laborer. But then Demas got distracted by the things of this world. Having loved this present world, Demas departed from Paul. 
And I'd like to see Demas in heaven. And I'd like to have a conversation with Demas. I'd love to find out he repented and got right with God and served God faithfully for many years. But even if he didn't, I'd like to ask Demas, was it worth it? What will his answer be? No. Chasing the things of this world is never worth it. You ask Paul, who gave up everything. He was a leader. He had power. He had position. He gave it all up to sleep in tents and serve God and suffer and endure. And you ask Paul, was it worth it? And Paul says in his own words, I reckon that the suffering of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. Paul will say, oh yeah, it's worth it. It's always worth it to follow God. Even when in the short run, it seems to hurt. Even when in the short run, you say, nobody knows I, I made that money. I don't have to declare it on my income tax. They paid me cash. No, God knows. Honor God with your income. Honor God with your heart. Honor God with your life. And someday, you'll be so glad you did. Man, I remember when my dad would come home and we'd been naughty. We weren't happy to see dad. We were busted and in trouble. But when dad came home in those rare occasions when we were good, and he came home and we were excited to see dad, I I think of what heaven's going to be like. Because a lot of times you don't know you're dying. Even if you've been dying for years, you don't know it's going to be today. You don't know when I exhale the next time, that's it. I won't inhale again. We don't know that. And so there's this sudden transition from this life to that life, from this side to that side, from earth to heaven. And when we open our eyes in heaven and we're with the Lord, won't you have wanted the thing you were doing right before that to be something that was pleasing him? Won't you have been wanting to look for him and say, my Lord, and not, oh boy. (laughs) Father, I pray that uh, we would genuinely follow you from the inside out. Thank you for your amazing love and grace, your tolerance for us. Thank you that you give us the capacity to live for you. I pray that we would. In Jesus' name, amen. Just a moment. Jim, you can already head up here. Jim and the pianist are going to come up, and and we're going to uh, sing a song. And in the process of singing that song, it's what we call a closing and an invitation. It's an invitation for you to respond to the Lord. Maybe you're here this morning, you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, and you want to do that today. You want him to forgive your sins and save your soul, and you can do that. You can come to the front. We'll have people take you aside and show you from God's word how you can know you'll be in heaven someday. But maybe there's an issue going on in your life, something you need to deal with that's just between you and God. You need to turn from your unrighteousness, reject your ungodly thoughts. You need to focus on him. This is your response to respond to the Lord, your opportunity to respond to the Lord.
How you respond today will make a difference in the tomorrows of your life. Follow him. Let's stand and sing.